All right, go ahead, take your seats, open your Bibles to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8. While we're continuing uh, to give our attention this morning to what the Word of God has to say in these two chapters about the topic of money, and as uh, we began to look last week, we saw that it is good for us to consider this topic because it is fundamentally connected to our walk with the Lord. The way we Manage the money that God has entrusted to us reflects the spiritual condition of our hearts. This is what the Bible repeatedly teaches. The Word of God teaches that what we do or don't do with money and and possessions shows what is truly important to us. And in particular, this portion of God's Word, these two chapters from 2 Corinthians, is talking about giving money giving money. And, and what I put forward to you last Sunday is what I'm going to put forward to you again this morning, and it's this. God wants you and me to be eager to give. He, he wants us to have hearts that are eager to give. And so as we come to God's word this morning, we need to remember what is true every time we open God's word, and, and it's this. Uh, this letter is not just some letter written to some church 2,000 years ago. But this is the power of God. This is the living word of God that speaks to our hearts here today in this place. And and this word wants to show us that having a heart that is eager to give reflects a heart that has been impacted to the core by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a heart that is, is just so fixed on glory being given to the Lord through how we handle His resources. A heart that's eager to give, we saw in the beginning of chapter 8 last week, is a heart that gives generously, showing that the grace of God has been poured out among us. The Holy Spirit wants to make it clear for us that that the earnest desire to give and to give monetarily for the sake of the Lord and for His kingdom is a result of God's favor working in and through the lives of his people. So just as we long to receive God's favor, uh, receiving from him the gift of, of faith or the gift of, of increased ability to know and understand his word or, or to receive the gift from him of being able to share that word with others, so too should we long for the favor of God in our hearts so that he would be working in us to have a heart, a disposition that is enthusiastic about giving. When this happens, the Apostle Paul says, we're imitating the love of Jesus himself. And we give generously beyond that which we would ever think would be normal or others might think would be normal to give. We give because Christ gave for us. Next, we saw in the middle section of chapter 8 that having a heart that is eager to give demonstrates the sincerity of our love for others. Right? It's one thing to, to say that we love others. It's, it's one thing to um, think about loving others, but it's another thing to put that love into action. We saw that true love, true love gives. It follows through. Just as Jesus loved us and gave himself up For us, we are then compelled to give of ourselves and what we have for the benefit of others. 
And then as we move on in our text this morning, we're going to see next that the heart that's eager to give, gives collaboratively. Gives collaboratively, embracing the integrity of leaders. At first glance, this next section, this last section of chapter 8, it may just seem like some mere administrative details, but listen, a closer look at God's Word is going to show us now some more important truths about biblical giving. Let's read the text together beginning in verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brothers, sorry, the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord Himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but now, who is more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. When it comes to the New Testament church and the area of financial giving, uh, much of what we see here in God's Word just flies in the face of the autonomy-hungry culture that we find ourselves living in. Rather, the Apostle Paul encourages here a perspective on giving that is highly collaborative. A a banding together, a, a combining of gifts that are entrusted to the care of a group of faithful stewards who've been tasked with the responsibility of seeing that that money goes to the right place. And the first member of the team we see introduced is someone who's well known uh, to the New Testament, Titus. This is one of Paul's partners in ministry. One who's been very active uh, in this church, in Corinth in particular, working alongside Paul. Paul says, I'm sending Titus to you and he's going freely of his own accord. He has the same love for you as I have, the same desire to be part of this work as I have. And so I'm sending Titus. And then in verse 18, he says he's sending an unnamed brother. And although he is unnamed and and therefore unknown to us, he's certainly not unknown to the church in Corinth. He's very well known to them, it says. And and he's, he's known in all the churches in the area as a faithful proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ. Then a third member of the team in verse 22, also unnamed, but he will show up with Titus and this other famous brother. And this is an individual who has proven himself trustworthy as well, and and he's also impassioned about the partnership of the Corinthian church in this giving endeavor. And so we see this picture here 
of collaboration. We, we, we see the churches first, as we saw last week, of Macedonia who have given to this work. We see now the church in Corinth. We see the Apostle Paul. We see Titus, the well-known brother, the tested brother. And they're all collaborating together in giving a financial gift to the brothers and sisters who are in need, who we will come to see later are in Jerusalem. Highly collaborative effort here. And there's a couple things that we need to take note of first, uh, just so that uh, they and, and we are not mistaken. Twice here, Paul emphasizes that all of this, this entire uh, um, endeavor, this entire effort, this special offering, this giving of monetary gifts is all for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. We see that in verse 19. As we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord Himself. And then again, further down in verse 23, Paul says that these messengers of the churches, these ones who have been sent to carry out this work, to administer this gift, are for the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ ought to be the prime motivation for any of our giving to the Lord, for all those who give and those who, who faithfully um, steward and, and facilitate the sharing of financial resources, the glory of God is the primary motivation. Secondly, we see the whole embracing the leadership of the few for the carrying out of the work of ministry. And this really only makes sense, right? Everybody can't, in all these churches or even in one church, everyone can't keep the books, everyone can't determine every last expense, everyone can't personally go and deliver the funds, and everyone can't accomplish on their own, through their own individual giving, what we could all together as a whole accomplish when we put our, our money and our resources together toward a common objective. And so we see everyone collaborating in this giving with the selected group of leaders who are overseeing this charge. And this embrace that we're talking about, listen, let me be clear, this is not a blind embrace. This is not something, and Paul is very clear, isn't he, about this? It's not just, just blindly trusting others to manage the giving. And in verses 20 and 21, Paul really goes to great length to tell them, why, why am I going to all these measures? It's to make sure that we are blameless in this administering of the gift. In verse 21, he says, we aim at what is honorable. Not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. It's important, it's important that leaders are honorable in the sight of others so that they can be proven trustworthy. For some of you, maybe, maybe you've been reluctant to give through the church because you want to make sure that you know where every last part of your giving is going, how exactly every, every part is being handled. And if that's you this morning, let me just encourage you, based on this text here in God's Word, to just be released from that. To, to give eagerly, um, entrusting this to the care of, of leaders whom you trust, who have been found trustworthy, if that is the case. 
there's a principle here that in verse 21 applies even beyond. If we had more time, I would, I would go into more detail about this principle of, of making sure that our actions are honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but in the, in the sight of, of man. It's, it's, it's not just simply good enough to say, well, the Lord knows my heart, and, and so it doesn't matter what other people think. It does matter what other people think. We need to consider whether it's in giving or otherwise, that, that we are going to, to lengths to make sure that everything is above board and seen correctly. And that's what Paul wants to do here when it comes to this collaborative giving effort. He says, we, we know that we're not up to anything. We know that the Lord knows we're not up to anything, but just so that you know and, and others know, we're working together. And we're putting these faithful, trusted people forward to carry out this act of generosity. We're being careful. We've, we've looked into things. We're planning well. We're not being irresponsible. We're not manipulating you or pressuring you. We're certainly not in it for our own financial gain. We're not trying to burden you, but we're in it for the glory of the Lord. And, and that's the heart of your leaders as well. I just need to communicate that to you this morning. We want to collaborate together in, in loving others, in magnifying the kingdom of Christ through uh, generous giving so that by the grace of God, we will all be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So we see here first that the heart that's eager to give gives collaboratively, embracing the integrity of leaders. Next, uh, let us look at uh, chapter 9. Apostle Paul says, Now it is superfluous for, for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Second, we see here that the heart that's eager to give gives intentionally. Intentionally. Guaranteeing the provision of love. The heart that's eager to give gives intentionally. Guaranteeing the provision of love. Five times in these five verses, Paul emphasizes the Corinthians being ready. Did you catch that word? Ready with their gift. And as we saw last week, we see again now that this letter, this word from Paul, these two chapters are by no means the beginning of talks between him and the church in Corinth about this particular special offering. In the previous year, the church in Corinth had committed to be part of this and they did so confidently zealously, the Word of God says. They wanted desperately to be part of this work. 
And so the Apostle Paul here, he tells him, he says, look, I've just taken you at your word. You expressed your desire to play a role in this. I told the other churches about your eagerness. And here we see that this eagerness in the Corinthians actually spurred the Macedonians on to give. Isn't that interesting? We see at the beginning of chapter 8, Paul putting forth the Macedonian giving as, as an example for the Corinthians. And now here he's saying, look, your commitment to give, your initial zeal in this actually spurred on their giving. See, see how mutually uh, God is working among these people? He's not coercing them in any way here. He's not twisting their arm against their will. They, they're the ones who had already made the promise. They're the ones who had already willingly expressed that they wanted to give in this act of love. So Paul says, now another part of the reason why I'm sending these brothers to you in advance of my coming is to help you get prepared to make good on your original intention. Just as I know you want to do. He's really encouraging them, if they haven't already done so, to be strategic in their preparation to give so that their initial determination would turn into actual fulfillment. He wants them to to do, as far as they can, what they can to guarantee that they will actually make this provision of love. He tells them, be intentional. Be intentional. And we uh, just need to look back at Paul's other letter that we have to this church Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, or we're going to put up on the screen as well. Um, the first four verses here gives us some really practical instructions for how this can be done. Talking about what happened the year prior, the Apostle Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Here are some really practical instructions. Don't you just love how God's word just sheds light on itself as we turn to different parts of scripture and we see how things come together and and how it all is working out. The Apostle Paul had told them previously, hey, remember what we talked about. Here's some strategic ways that you can plan. Here's some ways you can be intentional. And then he writes them this second letter that we're looking at, referring back to this. And so we look at this uh, this morning, and really practically for us, we, we might ask the question, how can we make sure that we're ready? How can we, again, as far as it depends on us, guarantee that we'll be in a position financially to be able to provide for what's needed as I trust that you desire to do? How can we be intentional in our giving? We can answer this question by drawing out some more specific principles from what we're seeing in God's Word. So, first is this, intentional Eager giving gives 
regularly. Intentional, eager giving gives regularly. Verse 2 in uh, 1 Corinthians 16 begins by saying, On the first day of every week. And here the call is for systematic, regular giving. It's not legalistic. It's just wise. How often do our good intentions go unrealized because of a failure to act in a timely manner? Think about this. I was was thinking about it this week. It's it's true financially. We we may um, desire and and even in our hearts intend on giving and then and then the further away we get from that initial desire how often has that passed us by I think it happens in other realms as well like you know asking forgiveness you know we know we need to ask somebody for for forgiveness and yet we just delay and delay and delay and then we think well it, it happened so long ago right or or just following up with somebody for for a word of encouragement or to find out how they're doing and how how many times have you intended had a good intention like that and then lacked follow-through from failing to act regularly right away. And Paul just puts that before us here when it comes to, to giving. He says, just do it every week, on the first day of the week. If, if, if we don't give regularly, listen, almost every single one of us would end up giving less than we hoped to have given originally. So let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to pursue the grace of God in your life. If you're not already doing so, start giving regularly to the Lord's work. Whether it's for the week in and week out needs of the ministry, uh, whether it's for um, a special offering, simply just setting money aside throughout the year, being, being ready for the next time something really specific and collaborative like we're reading about in 2 Corinthians comes up. Separate some money every, every time you get income, every time you're paid, separate some of it out from the rest of God's money that you're managing so that you're ready to regularly give. And this takes intentionality, I, I know, but it is good. It is good for our hearts. It's good for our spiritual well-being to be um, serious about money management. Even if you're not feeling wired that way in particular. I hope you're seeing how, how important this is from God's Word to go to, go to great eth- efforts for the sake of living for the Lord and for His kingdom. If we're really going to be intentional in our giving, first we'll be sure to give regularly. And then next we see that intentional, eager giving gives personally. Personally. Hopefully this is really obvious But did you notice that Paul says, each of you? Each of you? The the blessing of eager giving isn't for just other people, right? It's for each and every one of us. And like we said last week, we're not able to all give the same amount. That's not what God is asking. But the norm is that each one of us would be able to give something. And yes, there are um, exceptions. There are cases where we may, may not be able to give on a given week or in a given season of life, and, and that happens from time to time. I'm not ignorant of that. 
But by and large, I mean, think of the Macedonian church again. Just think back how they gave out of their extreme poverty. Think how there's been times in your life when you really had very little and yet you were still able to give something. Think, think of, as I thought of this week, those who are living in places in the world who have much, much less materially than we do and how they experience the joy of, of giving, how many have seen them give what, what would just make us think, how can they give? given their circumstances. Each one of us can experience the grace of God in giving. Each one of us is called to this. And then finally, uh, one more. Intentional, eager giving gives relatively. Intentional, eager giving gives relatively. The Word of God says, as he may prosper or Another way that that could be translated is in keeping with his income. In keeping with his income. So it it makes sense that our giving to the Lord's work would correspond to the amount that the Lord entrusts to us. There would be a a correlation between our income and our giving. And maybe you're thinking, okay, is this finally when you're going to tell us about tithing? Yeah, I'll I'll tell you about tithing. For those who don't know, a tithe is equal to one-tenth. That's what tithe means, a tenth or ten percent. And Israel, under the Old Covenant, they were required as the people of God, by the law of God, to give not just one tithe a year, not even just two tithes a year, but two tithes every year plus every third year to give an additional tithe. So there was actually three tithes in Israel, totaling about 23 and a third percent of required giving. If you're going to be a law-abiding citizen in the land of Israel, you would be required to keep these three tithes. And then in addition to that, there would have been free will offerings where the people of God would give above and beyond these tithes in an amount that isn't stipulated. It's free will. It is up to the giver. And so when we come to the New Testament church, the New Covenant community of believers, hear me say this, that nowhere in the Scriptures is the church commanded to give a tithe. Not commanded to give a tenth or ten percent, but rather what we're seeing Really clearly in in these two chapters, the most concentrated section in all of the New Testament on giving financially, is that principles are set forth for giving. And one of those principles is, as the Lord provides for you with income, so you in turn provide for the Lord's work. So here's what we tell people who ask us what we teach here about the tithe. Here's what we say. We say, okay, ready? Think about your income. All right, think about your income. Every $100 that the Lord has entrusted to you as a faithful steward, of that $100, $100 belongs to the Lord. $100 of it you are faithfully uh, responsible to faithfully steward for His glory. And for some of you, uh, giving 10% to the Lord is a good place to start. Feasibly, you could manage your current and future 
living expenses with $90 out of every 100 and you could give $10 to the Lord's work specifically. But it's not a command. It's voluntary. For some, 10% isn't really a sacrifice at all. In which case, you could actually give more. For some, 10% would be about right. That would be about the mark for, for your giving. It would be an appropriate sacrifice. For some, it might be less than 10%. Consider, consider this, that what you give as it's relative to your income, it's most important to God, not just what we give, but what we keep. Right? So when you think of, of tithing, a really practical way to illustrate this might be, like, would you think that uh, for someone to give a million dollars to the church is a large contribution? Is it, is it sacrificial? Is, is it um, generous? We, have to, we need more information to answer that question, don't we? What if such a person earned $10 billion a year? Makes a difference, right? So, so they still have, what, $9,990,000,000 or whatever it might be. I'm just going on the fly here, all right? <laughs> Think about what you would have capped in relation to what you're giving when you think about what an appropriate amount is to support the Lord's work. Giving principles, not giving percentages, are what members of the new covenant are called to follow. And if we're going to be ready to follow through on our good intentions, we need to take these strategic principles to heart. And we need to examine our hearts. And we, and we need to think, when we're thinking about giving to the Lord's work, we need to think, am I being generous? Am I giving voluntarily out of a, out of a, a sincere desire to love others? Am I giving sacrificially? Does it cost me something to give to the Lord's work? Am I giving out of God's grace being poured out into my heart? Am I giving cheerfully? Am I giving cheerfully? This is our last point. This is Paul's last point in this section. The heart that's eager to give, gives joyfully. Joyfully. Awaiting the abundance of God. Read with me, beginning... In chapter 9, verse 6, the apostle says, the point is this. Don't you love it when the word of God is that clear? Listen up, it's like he's got this horn. This is the point of what I'm saying. Ready? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that 
having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Will they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you? Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. These verses tell us that if we joyfully give to the Lord, if we joyfully push out and give to the Lord, there's actually much to be gained. First, uh, beginning in verse 6, he uses this farming illustration that's analogous to giving and receiving. And Paul says, look, give a little, expect to receive a little. Give a lot, and you can expect to receive a lot. And this in no way, you guys know this, but let's just say it, is, is anything near to the uh, prosperity, false teachings that we, is so prevalent that we might hear when we turn on the TV or the radio or in certain books. This is not talking about, look, hey, give to my ministry and the Lord is going to bless you tenfold and, and yet I'm the one with the private jet. This is not what Paul's talking about here. Primarily, I think we should understand this spiritually talking about the the intimacy of fellowship that we will have with the Lord when we pattern our giving after His example. This fellowship can certainly be described as as bountiful, abundant. But make no mistake about it, the Word of God does contain 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap. Reap bountifully. God says give joyfully and the result will be that the harvest of your righteousness will what? Increase. It will increase. So we give joyfully and we experience and we wait for the experience. Sometimes it doesn't happen right away. But we wait and we trust God that He will pour out abundant spiritual blessings upon us. Part of this assurance that we can have is seen at the end of verse 7. Where we see that God gives a special love to those who give cheerfully. Don't just, um, because maybe you might be familiar with this, 
treat it as, as some kind of a cliche that, oh yeah, I know, God loves a cheerful giver. No, no, God loves a cheerful giver. That's amazing. Don't you want that? You might say, well, doesn't God love all of his people? Of course he does. But the word of God says that God loves a cheerful giver. That means he has a special kind of love for those individuals who give, in this context, financially, with joy in their hearts. I want that. I want that for me. I want that for you. I want us to experience the the overflow of abundance of God. When we give cheerfully, we, we recognize that it's a privilege to give as Christ gave himself for me. We think, as we thought of last week, that Christ who was the richest, more rich than we could ever imagine, eternally rich in glory and majesty, would himself give and become poor so that we, through his poverty, could become rich. Christ gave. Christ gave more than we could, we, we could ever understand. He went to the cross. He, he died. He, he paid the penalty for eternal sin. Infinite sin. The wrath of God. He willingly took upon himself as he gave his life as a ransom for you and for me if you're in Christ this morning. And we think about this good news. And we realize that it's a privilege to give. We realize that why would we not give with joy in our hearts? Because it means that we'll be like our Savior. Furthermore, this passage teaches us that as we give joyfully, we can can wait on God to also make sure that we won't lack what we need materially. So that's for sure part of it as well. This um, reaches back to the Proverbs, Proverbs 11 and verse 24. It says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. See how the opposite of what we might expect to happen happens in God's economy? Same thing in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Word of God says, give and it will be given to you. Give and then wait for it to be given back to you. How? With good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So there is a correlation between our giving and God providing for us. This abundant replenishment from God, it, it's, it's not just so that we can give and then get more back to spend it on ourselves. That's not at all the, the plan of God. It's so that we can keep on giving more to others, Paul says. So that, verse 8, we can keep on abounding in good works. Or verse 9, in, have enduring righteousness. Or verse 10, increased righteousness. Or verse 11, You will be enriched. Give, 
and you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. The pattern here is, is Paul says, look, you be generous and give, and God will give you more so that you can keep on being generous and give more. From a human perspective, when, when we give, we, we expect to end up with less, right, than we started with. But according to God's math, we end up with more. And I don't know about you, but you know, if I slow down and really honestly think about uh, times when I'm not so eager to give, the reason is because I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough. Like, imagine, like, just imagine like a, a pile of, of money and, and if, if we just like took some off and gave to the Lord's work, if it would just reappear. We would just walk around all day giving, wouldn't we? God says, wait, because I will replenish. I will provide what you need. I'm not asking you to give so that you can go hungry. That's not what God says. God says, you give. Give responsibly. Be an eager giver and, and then watch what I'll do. Wait for me to provide for you. It's amazing. It's amazing. Why, why would we not be eager to give when we think about it as God would have us think about it? May the grace of the Lord just be poured out upon us even more. So that by the grace of God, we, we as a church at Redemption in Durham could be the means through which overflowing thanksgiving is offered up to God. You see that in verse 12? When we give to the Lord's work, it results in many overflowing thanksgivings to the Lord. When we give eagerly, God is glorified. When we give eagerly the gospel of Jesus Christ is magnified. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. We think that how Christ has given so much for us and then we give for his kingdom. And God receives greater glory. As people thank God. And remember that that giving is directly tied back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is something we, we, we want to be a part of. Furthermore, people long for us and pray for us. Isn't that amazing that... that in verse 14, we, we see that, that giving spurs on mutual affection, mutual care. It's, it's a means that God uses to, to warm our hearts to others and theirs to ours. This is such abundance from God. Did you notice that the, the words 
of abundance that are being used in this passage, all grace, all sufficiency, all things at all times, abounding in every good work, enriched, overflowing, just so much abundance when we have hearts that are eager to give. Abundance in this life and abundance in the life to come. Let us store up for ourselves through our eager giving treasures in heaven as Jesus said through our giving here in this life. Matthew chapter 6. There, I think I'll put up on the screen there. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Don't, Don't build bigger and bigger barns to store more and more of your food for yourself, Jesus says. Don't acquire and acquire and acquire and acquire. But give. And this is how he says it. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also lifted. Listen, the greatest investment strategy that we could ever have is giving. Because when we give, we're investing in heavenly treasures. Treasures for ourselves in heaven. You, you want a great reward from the Lord when, when you stand before Him? You want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I've looked out at how you've stewarded those uh, resources that I entrusted to you during your life on earth. Enter into the joy of your Master and receive the eternal treasures that you invested in during your time on earth. few more biblical principles we can take note of from this final section. Uh, the first one is this. Joy-filled, eager giving gives deliberately. Giving that is filled with joy and that is eager, we see in this passage, particularly in verse 7, gives deliberately. Each one, Paul says, must give as he has decided in his heart. Here's what that means. Some thoughtfulness has gone into their giving. Have you resolved in your heart? Have you thoughtfully, deliberately, in your heart of hearts, made a decision for what giving is going to look like for you financially in 2020? If you're married, have you and your wife or your husband sat down together? If you're not married, have you sat down, just you, before the Lord and decided what your deliberate giving is going to look like this year? And if you haven't, if you haven't, let me make just a really practical suggestion for you. This coming week, just take some time, block off some time, and devote your thoughts 
to the Lord in this particular area. Beg of the Lord to, to make your heart in tune with His heart. To make you an eager giver. To, to help you see further these principles in God's Word. And to examine your own heart and to pray and ask God that these would come to fruition in your own heart in giving going forward. And then just really practically, I, I would suggest if you haven't done this, be deliberate, be, be intentional, be strategic. Take, take a pen and paper or, or a computer, whatever you use, and just plot out what, what you're devoting to the Lord for His kingdom work this year. What, what are you planning on regularly giving to the Lord's work this year? Decide it in your heart. Not because I'm telling you to, but because that's what we see happening in the Word of God. Be deliberate. Be deliberate. Again, failure to plan is what? It's planning to fail. And so if you're like, yeah, I want to be an eager giver. I want to love. I want to express the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Plan for it. Be deliberate. Be deliberate. Plan how much you're going to give weekly or bi-weekly or, or whatever interval you may receive income from the Lord. P- plan what, what you're going to devote to meet the ministry needs of the church. Decide in your heart what, what you're going to do to get ready for another special offering when a need arises that we can collaborate together for. Budget, budget an allotment to, to have available to meet specific needs as they come up. And just commit it all to the Lord. Commit it all to the Lord, begin to regularly follow through, and then wait on the Lord and watch and see what He will do. Be deliberate. And then next, joy-filled, eager giving gives trustingly. Trustingly. Verse 10 says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God provides for us food to eat. He provides for us what we give away. That's the seed. He will provide. He promises to provide. He is the God who provides. And for me personally, I, I, um, I always like to go to the end of uh, Philippians, the book of Philippians. So I, I'm going to encourage you to turn there um, for a moment here. Just after 2 Corinthians, you go a few books to Philippians. And in the last chapter, chapter 4, it's really instructive for our hearts in this particular area of trusting God, even through giving. The Apostle Paul tells the Philippians uh, in verse 14, he says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. What they had done is they had sent a a financial gift to the Apostle to help him. He says, this was kind of you and, and you know yourselves that in the beginning of the gospel when I left you, I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, 
but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. First of all, verse 17, the Apostle Paul's heart, again, it, it is not for, for their money. It is, it is for, for their heart. This is the same fruit of righteousness that we're reading about in our passage. Paul is so excited when the churches give because he knows that that means God is working in their hearts and God's going to bless them through this. Okay, so notice that first. And then in verse 18, he says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, Now look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Listen, does God lack power? Does God lack resources? Does does God lack the ability to make sure that those who give are supplied for? The answer is, of course he doesn't. And here, Paul just reminds them, hey, you've, you've given. You've given to me to support the work of the ministry, to support my needs. And so from a human perspective, your budget line has gone down, but, but listen, my God will supply for you. So you can trust him. He will. You're not going to go without, he says. I just love that. It's such an encouragement to our hearts to say, you know what? God will, out of the riches of His glory in Christ, supply for every need of ours. And so we can give eagerly as we trust Him to provide for us. Finally, joy-filled, eager giving gives thankfully. Thankfully. Verse 15, 2 Corinthians, back in 2 Corinthians 9. Here's the end of the matter. Paul says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. This is how Paul ends two chapters encouraging eager giving in the hearts of God's people. Everything else just kind of fades into the background and the grace of God shines forth above it all. We could never put into words the indescribable gift that God has given to us. For those who know Christ, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that you by His poverty might become rich. This glorious exchange as we see here as Paul gives thanks to God for his inexpressible gift the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives us new life and works so in us that we would give glory to him through eager giving this glory of God can only be marveled at we express thanksgiving to God for what he's done for us. Do you have a heart that is eager to give? I trust that God's word 
is encouraging you in this direction through these couple of weeks, these two chapters. May the Lord so work in you to see the principles of eager giving. That His grace would be poured out upon you more and more. That you would excel more and more in these areas. That your heart would be welled up as you think about managing the resources God has entrusted to you. That your hearts would be welled up with thanksgiving for the immeasurable gift that He has given to us. Let's pray. Lord God, with the Apostle, we proclaim this morning, thanks be to our great God for Your inexpressible gift. Lord, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You looked upon our lowly estate, spiritually bankrupt, and You sent Your Son for us. And while we were sinners, at the right time He died in our place. And yet, He was raised that we might too have newness of life. God, we thank You for this gift that even as we try and describe it, as we try to wrap our minds around the gift You've given to us, we simply can't do it, and yet we ask for more, Lord. We ask that You would cause our hearts to be amazed. That You would cause us to marvel at Your wonderful deeds toward us. At the Savior's love toward us. At this inexpressible gift. And Lord, that our lives would just look so different because of it. God, would You transform us. Would You grow us and mature us as followers of Christ in the ways we've been looking at. We pray all of this for Your glory with great thanks to You. In Jesus' name, Amen.